welcome to episode 117 of Vague Zone. I'm Thomas. And I am Daniel. And today we are back in Oscar season. We are taking a break from our movie runs through different themes to talk about the Academy Awards that are happening next weekend. So we're talking about the 10 films that are nominated for Best Picture. We've talked about some over the over some past episodes. Some have episodes dedicated directly to them and some we've mentioned in passing so we're going to just talk about the films that we have not seen since we've seen there's a lot of movies and so we don't have time to talk about all 10 so yeah. i have four films i'm going to talk about and daniel has uh was it three or uh, yeah I, it's three i had three you had four yeah. uh we got mostly crossover though yes yeah and so yeah the ones i hadn't seen were all quiet on the western front Actually, well, I'll rewind. So all, I'm going to name all ten so we are all on the same page here. Okay. So for those listening, the ten films nominated for Best Picture this year, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar 2, The Shape of Water, or The Way of Water, uh, Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So, yes. So, Daniel, which films had you not seen? So I had seen everything except for All Quiet on the Western Front, Women Talking, and The Fablemans. And I watched all three of those one night after another. Sweet. And I hadn't seen All Quiet on the Western Front, Tar, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So hmm. I watched those films. All right. So, what shall we start with first? Let's take it back to high school, English class, All Quiet on the Western Front. All I Quiet? Know, I don't know if you read that in high school. I did that. not. I, I had not read it. Um, so I was I was prepared. Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, read us the IMDb synopsis. Thank for this. you, thank you. A young German soldier's terrifying experiences in distress on the Western Front during World War One. So Thomas, yeah, what did you think of All Quiet on the Western Front? Seriously. Netflix's All yes. Quiet on the Western, Front. <laughs> directed by Edward Berger. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember like being into the book in high school or whenever I read it as a kid. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that it is like a big budget world war one movie. Um, world war two definitely is like, has been ad- adapted and done on the screen at an exhaustive length. There's tons and tons of world war two, uh, movies and media and games out there to the point where it's, yeah, it's kind of exhausting to the point where when you get world war one stuff, it's kind of cool. It's a little bit older, uh, a little bit more, distant with the politics a little bit and it just it just feels uh interesting i just like the the kind of era change is a little less modern but yeah if like if you think about like world war ii movies if you go back to 2017 you have dunkirk and darkest hour two world war ii movies taking place in the same very similar time periods both like big prestige oscar like nominated movies kind of about similar time periods and so it's cool to have like something that's about world war one I, I i do appreciate that um but however i do think this is a kind of a a dreary experience uh, kind of a, a very bleak movie to watch i think uh um sam mendes 1917 is a far more exciting and like enjoyable world war one movie and like just the fact that yeah do a lot of like long takes and like the mm-hmm. wonders are just way more uh just entertaining and fascinating to watch and here we have a lot of great uh photography and like the acting is great but overall it's just very bleak and i don't feel like we can i don't really know much about the main character or like the hero we follow through these experiences and yeah it's just a lot of like 
kind of just yeah dreary grisly violence and just grayness and sadness and it, it is well made but overall i just didn't quite enjoy watching it too much what do you think um i feel like i should have been more disturbed by this movie so yeah, yeah. initially this movie felt kind of like a horror movie to me where it's like we have this group of youngsters who are all excited going on this trip to uh, you know, not, they're not going to a cabin in the woods. They're going to the trenches. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we know uh, the audience what uh, is ahead of them. This the horrors that are ahead of them. Um, so I was kind of laughing at it initially, like because yeah. uh, it starts with such optimism, and it just it feels comedic to me. I don't know if it's intended to be comedic, but it feels comedic. Um, and so yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like once the violence starts happening, once they're at the trenches. Like also like a horror movie, underdeveloped characters just getting picked off. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. just bodies that, that are meant to be decimated on screen. Um, and so, I feel like if what it's going for is to be a movie about the horrors of war, uh, then I feel like I should have been more disturbed. I, I didn't really. Yeah, uh, maybe I feel like it didn't go far enough or something because it definitely has like some grisly violence in it. The people getting run over with tanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, stands out to me, but. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of walked away from it be- feeling like that was, you know, one hell of a production. Yeah. Uh, I love the tank scene. But... Like, I absolutely love, like, that. Just the idea, and it ties into the horror thing of, yeah, like, young soldiers facing this technology of war for the first time. Yeah, and, on know, these like... unstoppable forces just yeah, approaching. Yeah. And, I don't know. Yeah, 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 you really feel like the... I, the listeners can't see but i'm doing something with my hands yeah, like yeah. the mass of these tanks yeah they're like yeah, yeah. march towards that and it's like no <laughs> it's like this a death box <laughs> yeah absolutely like, it's just like this death machine like rolling towards me yeah it's it's very bleak and grisly and i think that that's one of the things that did stand out about the book is like that's one of the things that it focuses on it's just the horrors of being in the trenches and dead horses and mud mm. and like like you know like just trench foot like i remember that being a big thing just like just dealing with just the logistics of being in trench warfare and how awful that is but also i think a lot a big part of the book is paul's return home and the fact that yeah they these soldiers are like young boys realize like they were sold a lie they were sold this fantasy of mm-hmm. like yeah you're, it's not glamorous at all you're gonna come back and like you're gonna be disrespected and they're not gonna well, you're not gonna come back Ex- exactly yeah. yeah but like if you are the lucky ones to make it back like making it back is just like a very small constellation because it's just you can't go back to this world like the world doesn't want you essentially and i think it's missing that beat like it ends in a very very sad fashion where it's like like the war is over like we have this side plot going on with the generals inside the train making this armistice happen and they decide that it's going to happen at 11 and then our general still sends them out there because like he's just like he wants them to fight to the end yeah yeah, i need to fight to the end we need to like capture this piece of land or whatever and yeah it's like the war is over and then our boy gets stabbed like moments before the air horn Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like and it's just so like just tragic and i don't know it's just it's a long two and a half hours up until that point so it's just i didn't really feel too much like by the time he's gone i I do appreciate that he kind of looks like a statue with like all the mud accumulating Mm -hmm. on his face and so maybe they're making like commentaries like he's becoming like this war statue kind of thing but yeah i don't know it just it is it just was not that exciting there's not much there it's just kind of yeah dreary drab and like i don't know 
it sometimes it had the vibe to me of like a B movie. <laughs> um, or a B movie, or like an exploitation movie, like an action exploitation war movie, but just done with like a little grander of a scale yeah. and with this like Roger Deakins esque cinematography what did to you like think elevate of, it. The, what did you think of the music? Like I the, did not like the music. I'm yeah, glad like you mentioned the, that. Yeah, the stabs, like the the horns. There was like it sounded like an electrical guitar or something. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it felt like. Like the Hans Zimmer Inception, like yeah. horn kind of thing, and it, it like it kind of works, but then it just kind of keeps being used, and it just uh, by the time it's like the end is yeah, it just it just wasn't really working. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I think overall I was pretty pop. Like it, it won me over towards the end. I think like as it continued to go, I started to get into it more. Okay. Um, and just like the adventure of it, I guess. Um. But uh, I know it sounds like I'm being pretty hard on it, but I, I think I think I overall I liked it more than I didn't. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting the way they food is like a major part of this movie. They keep focusing on like the food that yeah. the soldiers are eating in the trenches, the desperation for food. There's a wonderful scene where um, these guys just stop fighting when they find themselves amongst all of the food of. Uh, you know the enemies in the enemy's trench and they just start yeah. devouring things <laughs> yeah that's actually yeah two highlights so th- those earlier on there's a moment where they like steal this goose and like they like kill mm-hmm. it and cook it and i, I wrote my note is like that, that goose is probably the best tasting goose in those young yeah. men's lives <laughs> it's like just like the succulent like goose that you're eating just like huddled over a fire just like out there in the trenches it was a really beautiful moment but also yeah like this is uh, German soldiers going against French soldiers, and so mm-hmm. they like go through the French, <laughs> the French trench, and then it's filled with this banquet of like sausages and cheeses and bread. Yeah. And they're just like just like shoving just it all there. Yeah. Like people are getting killed. Yeah, just, just like outside the door. Out. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. That's a really great moment. Yeah. Uh, um, but then that's also contrasted against like this sort of political subplot where these uh, guys are trying to negotiate some sort of treaty. Yeah. And they're eating like croissants and like uh, they're eating like plates and plates of food yeah. and like their their costumes or their uniforms are like completely spotless in these like very manicured environments uh, versus, you know, just these filthy fucking soldiers in the trenches. Yeah. And also great casting. Daniel Brohl is the German general sort of fighting to end this like yeah, to the end this. Shader guy. Yeah, that was just good casting. Yeah, I've only seen him in Marvel stuff, so it's nice to yeah, like, same. like, okay, cool, like have him do like a German biopic or no, a German war film. Historical, yeah, 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 historical war film. Um, although that that political subplot is kind of strange to me because it's like it feels a little tacked on. Um, yeah. At, like it's not it, i guess it's it's just our b plot and i guess it helps to highlight the senselessness of the war when at the end uh the general commander or whatever uh orders these guys to keep fighting until 11 um like we need we need the setup of like where does that 11 come from i guess but yeah i don't know 
Like I said, it reminds me of just, like, the incredible ticking clock of 1917, where it's like, okay, you're just, like, this soldier's, like, trying to get this message or whatever. He's trying yeah. to, like, it, it just feels much more urgent, where it's like you're just trying to get from point A to point B. Where here, it's, like, just getting through survival and just getting from today to the day to day. It's getting through the days. And I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't really care too much about the characters at the end of it. Um, there's a great line, though, I do love this moment where he i think paul says i can't disregard two years of hand grenades like a pair of socks and hmm. it's like i don't know it's, that was the, one of the moments where it's like okay yeah like it wraps up the sentiment very nicely like it is an effective anti-war movie but yeah i think there's just quite a bit of these <laughs> types of movies and it doesn't do anything particularly new besides like the the tank stuff and the food stuff yeah I mean, I don't. I forget who that quote was from. Where it's every war movie is a pro-war movie or something. Hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know that that is the case with this one. <laughs> although that's. Although I wish it was a bit more disturbing, just to really drive the point home. Yeah, I think. Well, they do a really nice thing with the beginning. Is like we're on the field and we see like this soldier get killed, and then we follow his uniform getting cleaned mm, and repurposed. Yeah and sewn back up and then given to our hero as he enters into the the this movie so which also yeah. struck me as kind of comedic um yeah, yeah yeah and there's a scene like in a like a crater sort of thing where uh our our character stumbles upon a french soldier and he stabs him several times in the chest and the soldier is taking forever to die at a certain point, our, our main character grabs a bunch of mud and he starts like shoving it in his mouth, like trying to like silence him or like yeah. drown him in mud. I don't know. Uh, and then it doesn't work. The guy's still dying. It's like this elongated death. Yeah. Uh, our character has enough time to have a change of heart and trying <laughs> to like comfort this man. And like, I couldn't help but laugh because it's like, what is going through this man's mind? <laughs> like, yeah. this dude was just like shoving mud in my mouth and now he's trying to like make peace with me. Um, yeah, apparently, I, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Go. Ahead. I don't know. I, I was just like not into it. I'm like, it looks great, but I was just kind of just like, okay, like the it just it was just exhausting for me. I wasn't into it. I was, yeah, I, I heard in the book that that scene goes on for like a day or something. Like it's like hours and hours and hours. Hmm. Uh, versus in the movie, it's just like maybe ten minutes. Yeah. Um, no, that I don't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I do believe it. Because the book is agonizing. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's like like the theme of the book. And so yeah, it's like this movie is is like technically very good, but yeah, I'm just like okay, like there's just far more fun versions. Uh, even like it's not supposed to be fun. It's World War. <laughs> it's like it's it's supposed to be getting this point across. Is uh, man's ability to just be endlessly horrible and horrific to each other. But yeah, we need know. a we need a torture porn horror movie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, what well, should we go on to the next thing? Yes. What's next? Uh, would you like to do the Fablemans? Fablemans. Yeah. Okay. Um, sure. I'll read the synopsis for that first. Growing up in post World War II era Arizona. Young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. Thomas, what did you think of The Fablemans? Honestly, I loved it. I really enjoyed watching it. Like, I 
said on the show last year, I was a pretty good fan, decent fan of West Side Story. On a technical level, I think it's very, very fantastic. It's lit beautifully and just the production is just great. I think all of those things are true about the Fablemans, but instead of it being this musical that has sort of been done before, we have the story that's about Spielberg's life. And I think it's really cool to finally sort of get a little insight on that because I don't really know much about this man. And so it's really cool to kind of just dive into this world and see him like see him discover the magic of filmmaking and like it's really gorgeous the way that it's done um and yeah the the sort of the the fallout that sort of happens because of that is really fascinating and done in a really delicate way and yeah i don't know it's just like one of those this is like one of those things where only a filmmaker like him can sort of do something like this at the end towards the end of his career where it's like celebratory and like but not in a, a way that feels like masturbatory and uh selfish i don't know it feels like he's earned this victory lap and i think it just it is a great movie to to watch and what what did you think uh, i was not into it ah. <laughs> um i feel like the lighting is insane it is yeah. ridiculous <laughs> like yeah I, I i the the lighting in a lot of recent spielberg movies is just insane to me um there's a lot of framing in here a lot of blocking that is insane to me uh, but there are times where it just feels kind of overbearing. Um, huh, okay. I saw someone use the phrase handholdy to describe this movie. And it's like, hmm. yeah, I kind of feel that way. Like there's a scene where Michelle Williams uh, who plays the mother. She, uh, there's a, there's a tornado and she gathers up all the kids in the car. She like races down the street. And uh, at a certain point it's raining onto the vehicle and she kind of has like a she stops the car and she kind of has a breakdown she's crying because she this is just after she'd found out that um you know the husband plans to move the family away from benny the man that she's in love with yes, yes. um and so we get her like gripping the steering wheel head down on the steering wheel and we just see that wedding band in the foreground gotcha. and i was like yeah i get it <laughs> like i know steven Spielberg. okay yeah, yeah. like um and it's like, I know it's a visual medium, like, good he, good, he should be doing those things, right? But at the same time, it's like, it just feels, sometimes it just felt a little in my face, like, uh, like there's a scene, it's in, the, I think it's in the trailer, too. Um, I've shown this to a friend. Uh, and it's, it's insane, and it's wonderful. <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, it's a little, like, too much, where it's like, um, the mother is handing Sammy uh, a camera, and there's this in the background we see this hallway and there's a light on in the hallway and the light almost the light in the background almost feels like it's creating a spotlight onto the camera in the gotcha, foreground gotcha. and it's beautiful and it's yeah. incredible but it's like i don't know it's like, <laughs> like it feels have, obvious right? i have like a weird like push-pull relationship with this movie where it's like good for you for thinking about all this stuff but um sometimes it's just it's a little it's a little much for me um I think that's yeah. fair. I think, yeah, I think he, he, like, Spielberg is definitely, like, a maximalist in a lot of ways where, yeah, it's, like, it's gonna be dreamlike and everything is, like, just eye candy and, I don't know, yeah, it's he also... He projects like, onto his hands as a child. He's holding yeah. the movie. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the whole, even, yeah, even him being inspired by a train robbery and, like, this whole thing, this connection to, like, the you know the great train robbery and having that be like the the piece of film and cinema that like inspires like what's the greatest story ever told right is or that's not what it is is it 
No, I'm, I'm talking about, like, just the OG, just, like, documentary Oh, just, like, footage. a yeah. callback, yeah. Yeah, just, like, the documentary footage of, like, we're going to put a camera like on, like, and just, like, <laughs> just, like, put a camera towards the train, and the train's going to go towards the camera, and the people in the audience are going to freak the fuck out, and it's, like, that similar, that literally that same exact thing of him being freaked out at, like, this whole train thing, and having that be the inspiration for him being a filmmaker. It the greatest show on earth. That was the title I was thinking of. Okay. Greatest story ever told about Jesus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, we're going to get into that. We <laughs> change the subject of this podcast real quick. Uh, but um, I also, I'm not into Michelle Williams and Paul Dano's performances. Like, I oh, feel like okay. they feel very hokey to me. And I know that they're giving Spielberg exactly what he wants. Uh, but it's just, there are times where I'm watching this movie and I'm like, if I took this 30 seconds out of context, I'd be like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, why does she have a monkey? Yeah, <laughs> like, that, I, that moment I, I did sort of get taken out a little bit. I'm just like, what world are we in now? Yeah, like, I, I like literally like, like <laughs> said out loud, like, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, yeah, that, that and is apparently little... I looked it up. Spielberg's mom did buy a monkey at one point. Yes, because his life is insane. Because he's Spielberg, and yeah, I don't. Know, I was really caught up in the whole magic of watching him, like just learn filmmaking, like just going out with his friends and like shooting yeah. war stuff, and I, like I'm all I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Loved all that stuff. Yeah, because yeah, and I don't know. It, it's him like encapsulating that feeling that I got when I was watching like Jurassic Park as a kid, and like you know getting all of my dinosaurs together and like, okay i'm gonna make like you know just like that that same feeling it just feels it's just so pure and i think yeah it's just very sentimental and it's very heartfelt and they, yeah i think what you're mentioning about it being kind of handholdy i think it's true i didn't really notice those things but i can see how they can be uh, distracting um speaking of the train crash though something that like yeah that's like, like that's why i say it. like i have this push-pull relationship with this movie because like i was re-watching the scene that i just mentioned of the mother giving uh the son sammy the camera uh and she says something along the lines of like you can record the train crash and play it over and over again until it's not scary anymore and that's like this like sort of beautifully poetic like statement of what this whole movie is yeah because it is, is spielberg filming this like family tra- trauma his own family trauma yes yeah so that it's not scary anymore so that like he can like he's been sitting on this he waited until his parents died before he made this movie right yeah yeah uh and so it's like he's been sitting on these feelings and thoughts about this whole situation there's a great moment in this movie where uh his parents are announcing that they're getting a divorce to the family and the character Sammy looks in the mirror and he has a vision of himself recording this. And we know that Steven Spielberg is essentially doing that, like by making this movie, he is processing his own trauma through the lens of a filmmaker. And is that healthy? Is it not like that's, those are kind of the questions that he's dealing with. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot that I really like about this movie, but I, I, I don't know. It was just, it kind of, uh, I, I was feeling a lot of things while watching it, and I wasn't sure of the positive or negative aspects of those feelings. For sure, totally. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pondering, there's, there's like a couple of things I want to ask you about it, because there's like the great, there's a fantastic cameo at the end of this movie that I think oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> like the, the awesome. ends it in a, in a really <laughs> fun way. Um, 
spoilers uh, if you don't want to be spoiled. But yeah, the end with David Lynch as um, John Ford is just fantastic. Um, which yeah, yeah, I was like not expecting that <laughs> to come out of this movie. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's just really funny and just fucking and perfect I, casting. <laughs> I wonder if like the reason for the casting was that like it was so we cast like a surreal filmmaker, a surrealist filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Is it just to like underline how surreal of a moment it was for him to actually meet John Ford? Like, uh, yeah, maybe that's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he, it's also just like the one filmmaker who's like at that age and like look and can capture that intensity that he supposedly did have like yeah because it is like what does if john ford was like this hero to spielberg like what does david lynch mean to him because i remember hearing this uh story david lynch told about meeting spielberg at like a party or something and uh i don't know i think i i I only remember lynch telling spielberg like you're lucky that the thing that other people are interested in the things that you're interested in. <laughs> yeah. Like other people are willing to see your movies because you're interested in the same things as most people. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, a, uh, if you're on the other side of that, like it's yeah. making strange shit. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I wonder what their relationship is. Yeah. So we're going to see, weren't crazy about the Fablements. Um, no final thoughts on it though. I mean, just, yeah, there's a lot of great moments in it. Like, so much of the school stuff, like the coming-of-age stuff. Basically, I liked everything. I think I, li- I think I liked everything except for the family stuff, really. Okay. Like, the family gotcha. stuff was a little too much for me. Um, and that's kind of what this movie is, like... It's very important to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I saw a tweet where someone was like... Okay, I remember. What I was it say. was like someone watching a Seth Rogen movie, and it's him being like, "We have to stop smoking weed." <laughs> <laughs> and then Steven Spielberg's like, "That's him. That's the man who had sex with my mom." <laughs> That's great. Oh, I remember the thing I was going to mention. I'm stealing this from a user on Letterboxd or Reddit. I forget where I saw it, but the whole idea of the way they worded it was really nice. Like him sort of being terrified by this train moment being the, like having that being the catalyst that inspired him to become a filmmaker is sort of like him hit like Spielberg's version of in our lives. Him doing it is like him giving us Jurassic Park and him giving us jaws and like giving us these big blockbuster moments that are like terrifying, but also like just also very thrilling and like think about Indiana Jones and stuff like this, like his filmography has like, this like connection to terrifying the audience but also thrilling them in a way that i think is sort of represented in like that whole idea of like this train robbery being or no not the robbery it's a a crash it's a train crashing into a car that's what it is and like having that just being like this terrifying moment that is also so thrilling that it inspires him and and the way that they worded it is like it's him returning the favor to us and be like yeah like that moment that made him Spielberg is like him giving him that moment to us and like He's passing it on. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was nice. As I butcher what was <laughs> eloquently written. <laughs> no, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find like. We'll probably have to cut this out because, <laughs> but I'm trying to find like, I could have sworn I read something about someone confronting Spielberg with a like a tidbit of analysis of this movie and he was like yeah maybe that's what i was doing like like he like learned about his own life from someone watching that like a critic watching this and providing their own analysis of it yeah, that's great 
Mm. Yeah, I I enjoy it. I appreciate it that we sort of get this very like retrospective victory lap of a movie at like for one of the greatest living filmmakers around. And yeah, I don't know. I, 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 the the hokiness that you mentioned didn't really stick out and bother me. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else. All right. Moving so, on. So, women talking is the last one we have in common. Should we do this one? Sure. All right. So I'll read what? the IMDb. Women talking is directed by Sarah Polly. So, do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. So what did you think of women talking? Um, I remember partway through this movie, just like thinking to myself, it is very weird that this and Top Gun Maverick are both nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What do I think of women talking? Like it is. It's a lot. <laughs> like, I think I think there are times there are times where I was like, this feels overwritten, and then there are other times where I'm like, that's an incredible line. Yeah. Um, I did not really enjoy the look of the movie, the desaturated look. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I, it, it's it's incredibly heavy. Yeah. Uh, it it communicates the heaviness of its situation without having to actually show you what happened, which I appreciate. Yeah, you um, might even yeah. need to put a disclaimer on it. it could, yeah, because it is dealing with. Well, yeah, we haven't said what this movie's about. Yeah, I haven't even said what it's about, and, but also, yeah, just the the core of what's causing things to happen in this movie is very barbaric and very just disturbing. Okay, so warning. You know, trigger warning, sexual assault. Yes. Uh, this movie is about a group of women in a, like, Mennonite, uh, you know, community who have learned that the men in this community have been drugging the women with horse tranquilizers and raping them in their, uh, sleep. In their sleep. Yeah. And convincing them that any sort of, you know, aftermath of these events is in their head that it's hysteria yeah that you know they're imagining things like uh gaslighting yes um and so uh two young women catch one of these men in the act they report the men the men go to jail i guess and then uh while all of the men are away because because the men who didn't go to jail are back are in the city trying to bail them out i guess um the women are having this meeting to discuss or like a select group of the women in this community are getting together to ha have this succession of what do we do do we do nothing pretend this didn't happen just stay here do we fight the men when they return or do we leave uh and go yeah. out on our own um and these are women who believe that if we don't forgive these men uh we will go to hell we won't be allowed in the kingdom of heaven yeah. Um, and so they're grappling with faith. They're grappling with their own sort of like brainwashing and their own programming, um, you know, while trying to confront this horror. Uh, and I think that is one, one of the things that's really fucking interesting about this movie is because it, there, there are moments where, uh, among in these discussions where they're sort of framing even the men who did this thing as victims 
yeah. which is strange. Like they're saying, okay, like if the system, if the system, this order, this structure of belief and the structure of operating is the real villain, then everyone who is operating within it is, is a victim a, of yeah, it. Yeah, as a victim, yeah. Um, and that's really fucking, that's a huge fucking thing to contemplate. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah, very, Because clearly very there are bigger victims questions. than, yeah. than uh, but... Yeah, go yeah, ahead. What were you this, say? this movie's fucking super intense and super heavy. And like, yeah, as a man, I feel like I'm more qualified just to talk about the form of it as opposed to like the actual like, the content, the content of it, because the way that it's discussed and the way that it's presented in the movie is fucking perfect. I think I think the way that it's done is very nice. We have Ben Wishaw as like the man taking notes and he's like as like the fly on the wall. And the, like they refer to him in a very few moments. Um and he does have a moment where he does like have a little like monologue thing that I think is really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I think it's very well done. And it's the point where it's like the way the words that I have to say about it aren't going to be as substantial as like watching the actual movie, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, but this is is very fascinating and also very like like an odd thing to talk about, because in the beginning of this, they say that what follows is an act of female imagination. And so yeah. this is very real incident very actual horrible things happening but we're having like this little like fantasy kind of discussion where they can sort of be as raw and open as that they want to be and within that it gets really real and really like deep because they're, yeah, they're talking about forgiveness and the nature of forgiving and like cutting off their family members and like like at what like what point does like a boy become like this man who you have to be afraid of and mm -hmm. like it's just that's, yeah that's yeah fucking huge too yeah like um, when they turn and ask him that i was like that's a heavy fucking question that and we like, know the answer to the, the man is yes. forced to answer that yeah. yeah and he's like he's like yeah like they are a danger like i mean yeah it's just so eloquent the way but that that's one right of now. the that's also one of the nice things about this movie is that it ends with this element of hope where he's like yeah like 13 14 years old like they are a danger yeah. however they're still children and they could still be taught yes yeah. um yeah yeah, there's a lot of really great lines in this um, movie. Uh, one of uh, one that I keep thinking about and contemplating is uh, the the line "forgiveness can be mistaken yeah, for permission." Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was one that really stood out to me too. Um, I remember, yeah, the, when we meet Ben Wishaw's character, it had crossed my mind that like, so one of the things I don't like about this movie is they literally use the phrase "not all men," <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, I remember thinking like. I didn't like I, initially I didn't like the inclusion of Ben Wishaw's character because I was like this feels like they're trying to say that not all men are bad and like I I, I don't like when movies are kind of like watering down it feel like they're watering them down themselves to like be less offensive yeah. <laughs> or something um yeah but however I came around to it because I was like well this character is actually highlighting uh this disparity between men and women because he's the only one who can write yeah um and yeah so that was that was like yeah they include this one like good guy but that good guy is still meant to illustrate inequality uh in an interesting way i think there is a a benefit to going into movies blind but i think this is one of the one of the more recent instances where that completely backfired on me and like i think knowing about this incident and knowing about 
the backstory of this will really help contextualize a lot of what's going on because there's like essentially in this movie it all takes place in barns and like in this like farmland mm-hmm. so there's no like over overt hints about the time that this takes place until like midway through the movie and there's like a, a song that's playing in the car that sort of shows up yeah in the, the truck is taking that census taking yeah. the census and so that, then it becomes clear but uh, to be very honest like the content of this movie was so dense and so heavy that when that happens like that information didn't really register entirely mm-hmm. i was like oh wait a second i was like is that like a just a a song choice like a creative song choice like like i, I it kind of like fried my brain a little bit because i'm just so focused on like the performances of jesse buckley and rooney mara they're just like just really incredible in this movie it's one of those films where it's not visually strong, but it's just held up entirely by these monumental performances that yeah. are just, like, incredible. So, but, like, when we find out that this is 2010, I'm like, hold on. Like, that just adds another layer of, like, awfulness yeah, to this. Absurdity. Yeah, Yeah, because in my mind, when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, this, like, they're having conversations about escaping and sort of being on their own but i'm like oh yeah like this is a period piece like they're gonna be yeah they can't write yeah it's gonna be Mm. really dangerous but then when you find out it's 2010 it's like oh this is even it's another layer of like sadness to it because i'm like oh yeah they're even more cut off and secluded from the real world or like yeah like damn like they could like just go and like do their own thing and like but like the religion is like an aspect of it i don't know it's just (laughs) it's, it's just a lot I was like, yeah, like a cell phone would make things a lot better, but there's just so much to be said about yeah these secluded religious communities and like the the atrocities that can go on within them. Uh, out of curiosity, I just googled pop culture in 2010. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Angry Birds was out when this was happening. <laughs> it's like um, it, it, that just kind of blew my mind because usually yeah. I like to preach. I like to say, oh yeah, like I just watched the teaser trailer and then I go in blind. But I feel like going in blind like hurt my viewing of this movie because I was just kind of stuck on figuring out when it was taking place. Okay, you were a little distracted. Yeah. A little, a little bit, yeah. but and also just being distracted by just the the heft of what's being discussed. And just like, yeah, they're talking about religion and forgiveness and like whether or not to like leave the men behind. And it's just just very heavy. Yeah, it is odd that this is going up against stuff like Top Gun or Triangle of Sadness. I was like, like, it made me kind of roll my eyes at Top Gun. I was like, yeah, it's a good movie, but come on. (laughs) Like Avatar 2, like, I don't know. This movie, yeah, it, it felt like kind of a breath of fresh air where it's like. Why the fuck is Avatar two? Yeah, no, like I don't even like I like I just said I don't like the look of this movie. I don't. Um, and like there, I there are times where I kind of had problems with the writing. I like, I I I felt like I. Sometimes I'm hearing the dialogue come out of these people's mouths, and I'm like, do people do people really talk like this? Like it feels like an essay a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and like I kind of want like because I know it's based on an actual event. I kind of want to know what those actual conversations felt like um but uh i don't know it feels like i I don't really know where i'm going with this except that it's refreshing to see a movie that's serious (laughs) like about serious things that isn't like i love genre films and stuff but yeah same uh i kind of want to see something a little more mature every once in a while that's like grounded where like people don't have fucking superpowers or I don't know. Yeah, this movie definitely feels very important and, like, crucial to watch. And I remember what I was going to mention earlier, talking about um, 
there's moments in their conversation where they approach uh, territory where they're clearly talking about things that they know that they can't do. Like one of the uh, women mentions, he's like, well, it's like, if I stay, I'm just going to have to become a murderer because I'm just going to start yeah. killing people. And then they all start laughing. And this is kind of like a moment to sort of like break through the tension. And at first I like wasn't into it. But then it kind of happens a couple of more times and then another character kind of reacts to it in a way where it's like, stop laughing. Like, like we need to like make a decision like very soon. And I think I do appreciate the fact that there is like that like back and forth of like, yeah, we're going to dive really deep into this really serious territory, but then kind of go back and kind of break that tension. But then also being like aware that like we're breaking that tension. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works. It, it definitely feels like a play. I was thinking a lot of the movie Fe- Fences that came out a few years ago with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. That's another movie where it feels like a play. It's not very strong visually, but it's just centered by like just two incredible performances where just everything is just revolving around them. And I feel like that's happening here. It's a little more even. I, I did expect some more from Frances McDormand, but I think... Yeah, I mean, she produced it. So. Yeah. She's also been busy as hell too probably being um it reminded me of 12 angry men initially yeah i was like oh it's just you know people debating all these different sides of an issue um were there like particularly standout performances in this for you um uh, yeah jesse buckley i think she was great like um yeah i think rooney mara is like doing something really interesting too because she's playing a much more tender character and like has this kind of this complex thing going on where she she's pregnant but she's not with the person who got her pregnant and i think they imply that it was a, like a rapist that got her yeah. pregnant and so she's like debating like 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 leaving but also like ben wishaw has like this romantic connection this romantic connection to her and so like that is like played really tenderly but also on the other side you have jesse buckley who's just like very intense and like just has like just this fiery energy to her and she's just like wants to leave and then when they start talking about like violence and like killing the dudes like yeah i don't know it it feels very real and they just sold it a lot and claire foy actually i think she delivers one of my favorite moments and lines in the entire movie when they're talking about like well we like don't know like what guys are good or not she just breaks into tears and she's just like i just want to be in a town where it's safe for my four-year-old daughter to be Mm -hmm. here it's just like the fact that she like lays it out and says like four-year-old daughter is like really just just like fucking it's i don't know it just hit me like a sack of bricks i was like god damn it like yes like yes go like like team go like leave like please go and start your own you know society and get yeah. to safety it's an insane movie yeah very effective uh-huh. like yeah like i say as a man i was very very convinced and broken down by the end of this movie uh what did you make of the so spoilers i guess because it's a pretty late reveal um What'd you make of Ben Wishaw's character August wanting to kill himself at the end? Um, that it seemed a little tacked on. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like details in this movie, and that was one where I feel like they could have added some hints to that earlier on to sort of imply that that was something he was uh, like the direction he was going towards. Because I didn't really feel that, and it kind of happens at the end while we're sort of focusing on like this convoy of women leaving. And I was just more, more interested in that. Yeah. Cause like they, before this scene, when he's with all of the women, he's about to say something and then he stops himself 
And he says, it's like, oh, it's not important or something like that. Yeah. I'm like, what was he going to say? Like, is it that he just wants to go with them? Yeah. Um, and like, is he going to kill himself to kind of, because he knows, is he like afraid of what the men will do to him when they find out that he's helping these women, essentially? Yeah, um, maybe. I didn't really understand the justification. Um, yeah. Or is it just like a shame of like being also being part of this, a man that was part of this culture? Yeah. Whether or not he, you know, uh, engaged in that activity. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I do want to mention there's a, a great, beautiful moment um, where I forget what character is saying it, but she's like describing like childhood essentially. And the word she used to describe it is like if you think back into your mind and she's like, there's bread breadcrumbs along the path to violence. And the way that they depict that visually is there's a bunch of boys playing on top of a hay bale. And there's, like, the, the girls around it, they, like, want to get on top of the hay bale. But the boys are like, no, you can't. And then the girls, like, go off and do their own thing. And it's just, like, a really beautiful moment where it's just, like, yes, like, that's a, that's exactly what it is. It's, like, a breadcrumb. It's, like, a small moment on the playground. But, like, it can snowball mm -hmm. into this behavior in, in adulthood. And I just, like... Yeah, like movies have a very only like movies that are able to like to, to make that like connection and like do it in a way where it's just like so visually powerful and like I don't know it's like this movie is just like operating on an entirely different level than some of the other ones that are nominated and it's like yeah, yeah. That, that little moment just like blew me away. Um, I think last thing is what'd you make of the inclusion of a there's a trans character in this movie? Yes. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it because I was a little confused about the circumstances in which that the character got to it because it seemed like there was like a miscarriage or like a period or something. I wasn't quite sure what had happened. Well, I think it's just that like, so this character assigned female at birth identifies as a man, uh, but they're also raped just as the rest of the women were in this. Gotcha. Uh, um, you know, community. And so I don't know when the, when the sort of vow of silence sort of thing took place. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like there could have been way more explored there because how does this character feel identifying as a man in a community where the men ha commit this horrible atrocity? Yeah. How does that uh, affect their perspective of men and their perspective of themselves for identifying as a man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there was more room to explore some of those questions. Um, yeah, that, that was one where I like, I wasn't really quite sure what to make of it. I do like the moment. Um, well, the actor, his name is uh, August winter and they do a really great job when um, there's a moment where like, they are not referred to by their name, Melvin. And then like when the character finally does get referred to as Melvin, she like breaks the vow of silence. It's just, it's, and she says like, thank you for yeah. saying my name. And it's like, I, it's, it's like you get the one line from that character. It's like really, really heavy. It's really done, really done very well. Um, anything else on women talking? Uh, it might be it. Um, I'm going to move on to Tar. Tar. All right, I'll read this IMDb. Tar, directed by Todd Field. 
Set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living composer, conductors, and the very first female director of a major German orchestra. Daniel, what did you think of this movie? Um, so I, I think I mentioned this on our catch-up episode that Tar to me is just like a solid movie that I had no real strong feelings for. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's a movie where like I feel like in a year I'm gonna look back and be like, oh yeah, Tar. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it will have like no real staying power for me. Um, but like, cause like, like I, I think I had even mentioned last time, uh, Kate Blanchett's performance is great. However, that's also unsurprising. Like, <laughs> it's not unusual to see a great Kate Blanchett performance. So totally. this didn't really, it, yeah, it didn't really do much for me. I guess. Yeah, I, I dug it because I, I don't know, I, I'm not as familiar with Kate Blanchett stuff, so I'd never really seen her do like a unhinged kind of uh, going off the deep end kind of thing, which I do appreciate when actors are given the chance to, to just like have a movie where they're in almost every scene and they <coughs> excuse me they're in almost every scene and we're just slowly watching them unravel and here i think it's a, a fascinating character in a world where i'm not really familiar with either like the prestigious world of composer conductors and all of that stuff was really fascinating and the like the politics of picking the chair and like you know the, like new yeah. people like rotating and i thought it's so oh. cringy those moments where it's yeah. like she's just like boosting the chick she wants to fuck <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough it's really tough because yeah she's in the beginning yeah like it's set up as like she's this grand person she's an egot she has she's like one of the rare people that has a uh, uh, emmy grammy oscar and a tony and she's like just has an incredibly prestigious career and so like beginning of this movie she like even down to the textures of like her custom-made suit that's being made for this interview or, or whatever and then, like, by the end of the movie, she's, like, tackling people. And, like, I, yeah. I don't know. I just like, I, I just really appreciate just, like, that transition. And I, I love watching actors kind of just do this kind of thing. I did like the moments where it felt like it was taking on a bit of a surreal, like, reality is starting to break down sort of thing uh, as the movie goes on. Like, when she gets attacked by the dog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Like what actually fucking happened there? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm into it. Yeah, she's like being chased by stray dogs and like the she's in Berlin, right? Yeah, she's in like a, like a Berlin ghetto somewhere. And like I don't know, it's just really I just love the visual contrast from her pristine, perfect world to just like this mysterious place where this cello player apparently lives, which like also is very perplexing. Yeah, uh, how do you feel about the form? So we have like the credits rolling. Before. See, it's been a while since I watched it, so Gosh, okay. it's hard for me to remember. So yes, movie starts off with the credits rolling in reverse, and so we get like the you know the caterers and the the music and notes and all of those things first, and then the the rest of the crew, and then eventually it ends with the director, producer, writer credit. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think this movie is interesting because I think it's making a commentary about like the like you know the whole genius like the 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 toxic uh troubled genius or whatever and like you know kind of breaking that down and kind of analyzing like okay this person might be talented but like what is it actually worth and this is crossed with the conversation of like art versus artist and there's this whole scene where uh she completely tears down one of her students who's like having this conflict with it and 
don't know. I think there's there's a lot to like about it. There's a lot of stuff to appreciate. Yeah, the art versus artist stuff is interesting. I think it was like Emily and I saw it in theaters, and I think it was just one of the things she said or a point she'd made, which is just like she wants to. She only wants to separate the art from the artist when it's beneficial to her, yeah. uh, because otherwise she's talking. Just just saying, like, what did the artist mean by this piece? Is attaching the art to the artist? Yeah. Um, you're not you're not engaging with it in a vacuum, um, and so I don't know. Yeah, I, I wish I'd rewatched it so I could I could better speak to this. But, For sure. Yeah. There is. Uh... Another thing I'm going to steal from a Reddit comment. A uh, person mentions the beginning of this movie, uh, Tar, Lydia Tar is being interviewed and making this whole long spiel about um, time and how the conductor is controlling of the time and the perception of like how to actually conduct the piece and like how like one like the right hand controls the tempo and the left is like the another like part of it or whatever. And at the end of this movie. Uh, she's given some headphones to when she sort of has a fall from grace. She's like mm -hmm. uh, she is leading up to this big grand performance, and that that performance totally does not happen. She uh, gets replaced, and she tackles her replacement and gets escorted out by security and shamed. And then she sort of rebuilds her career in Asia, and she's like conducting uh, a, a monster orchestra. hunter. Yeah, monster <laughs> hunter, a score for a monster hunter like performance. And they give her these head, this headphones. And so this uh, Reddit commenter pointed out that the headphones has a metronome track inside of it. So the metronome is what that person would Oh, need. wow. And so okay. essentially at the end, she's the, the control, she no control, the control that she so much wanted and identified with has finally been taken away from her. And I thought that was a really fascinating connection that I did not make that a person on the internet far more clever than me pointed out. But I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, just like a click track thing. Yeah, because yeah, it's like this whole thing is about like her just being in control of everything and just it's slowly unraveling. And I, don't, I like a good a good movie where a character unravels. Something like Uncut Gems. You know, it's, it's fun to watch people unravel <laughs> in film form. Um, I guess. Yeah, I wish I wish I had more to say on Tar, but yeah, I'm having trouble remembering it honestly. No, it's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, it's good and bad that there's 10 movies nominated because I think, yeah, it has allowed for fluff to be added because um, I have nothing good to say about Triangle of Sadness. I'll just say you have right nothing now. good to say about it? <laughs> I, I no, liked Okay, let's get into Triangle of Sadness. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Do you want to read the IMDb uh, A fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. Thomas, uh, why didn't you like Triangle of Sadness? Um, I, I don't like... I didn't like watching this movie. I feel like there's been lots of like resort and like vacation kind of media. I've mentioned this on the show with like uh, the black, uh, sorry, the white Lotus, um, infinity pool. Um, there's plenty more, but those are the first two. Glass episodes. onion. Kind yeah. Of gla yeah glass it. onion. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, the menu a little bit, yeah. like a lot of class, class movies. Yeah. So class honestly, content. um, I think I'm just getting bored watching rich people do stuff and commentary on the 1% and stuff. And like here, this movie thinks it's very clever to have them vomiting and sliding around in their own shit. But I don't know. It's just, it's just way too long. And there are good moments in this movie, but I'm trying to be 
more strict and to not let shit slide because i'm i tend to be a softy shit was certainly sliding shit was definitely sliding i'm a (laughs) i'm a fucking softy when it comes to movies i tend to be like i I, i'm looking for what the filmmaker is trying to do your like what their intention is and this person is trying to make a comedy if you have the one percent literally sliding around in their own shit like that's clearly the the punchline that's the joke and it's just it's just too obvious too long and just not fun (laughs) to not enjoy watching it uh yeah i really like triangles <laughs> i saw it in theaters um and so it's been a while since i saw it um i remember yeah it's a pretty long movie it's two and a half hours but i remember by the time it ended i was like man i could watch 40 more minutes of this oh no, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like i was i was on board um yeah i don't know like I, I, the only other uh it's directed by ruben osland um yeah. i'm not totally sure on the pronunciation the only other movie i've seen from him is force majeure have you seen mm-hmm. Force Majeure? No, I haven't seen any of his other movies. Like, and I'm gonna approach with loved, caution from now dude, on. I love Force Majeure. So, For- Force Majeure is about uh, they're a family that's vacationing in the Alps, an avalanche happens, and the dad runs away <laughs> and like leaves the mom <laughs> and the two kids. Okay, and it ends up not being a very severe avalanche at all. Everyone's fine, but now the family has to grapple with you know the father just left us and it's a movie all about just like masculinity and like gotcha. what does it mean to be a man sort of thing yeah see um, that's that sounds great but yeah i don't know <laughs> this is like this it's like a political satire it's a cross-section of class and everything and i don't know i just i've seen other people do it in more fun and interesting ways and just the the, the couple at the center here is just awful and i just hate just being with them and they're, they're bickering about money and I don't know, like, the elevator gag is funny, like, there's some stuff in the third act I think is solid, but, like... Can you remind me what the elevator gag was? They're, like, arguing at the elevator, and the doors just keep closing, and he's just, like, just trying to continue the, the argument, and the, just the doors keep closing, and it's it's just slapstick, and I don't know, like, that's cool, and I like the, I don't know, like, the janitor sort of, like, establishing dominance over everyone as, like... Yeah. As like Great. like society breaks down. That's cool, but yeah, a good moment does not make a good movie. It'd be like, <laughs> I don't know, sort of like more like bourgeois capitalist class becoming sort of a, I don't know, like they sort of like turn on their heel like once once they end up on the island. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting movie. It's yeah. just like the I wish shifting of the power the island. I wish you so. got to the island so much more sooner because i don't know like i so see the, i went into it thinking the whole movie was going to be on a boat okay. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know what i was thinking going into this but uh, yeah the, it's like it's in three chunks so there's like act one yeah. which is focusing on like this like model world a little bit and then like the, the like their arguments after this dinner and then the majority of it takes place on the boat and then the final act is on the island yeah. so yeah first first acts these models, wealthy models. However, uh, the woman makes more money than the man, and he's a bit uh, insecure about that. Um, and yeah, they're just having arguments. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was just like not into it. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, on the boat we have a captain played by Woody Harrelson, who is a he's a communist. Um, he gets drunk with one of the passengers. Who's a, is he a Russian capitalist? Is that yes, what he is? He's, a, he's like uh, an oligarch or something. He's a, he's a shit salesman. <laughs> uh, and they just get <laughs> wasted together and they start, uh, 
just making ridiculous announcements over the intercom. Um, they're navigating through a storm. Uh, everything's going wrong. Um, the kitchen staff cooked some spoiled food uh, on a request from on a request from one of the passengers, right? Well, okay, so essentially, what's happening? We have. Uh, a wealthy woman on the dock of the boat and she's basically egging on one of the crew members to take a swim. And then yeah. that, that escalates to her demanding every crew member on the ship to go swimming. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is kind of this is kind of silly, kind of funny. I get it. But then, yeah, the, like, the kitchen crew, they're like, oh yeah, we're preparing this octopus and they just like walk out. And I was like, okay, this is going to end up bad. Um, I do like the escalation of the dinner itself when they're like, the ship is just like tilted entirely. Yeah. And then like, they're just feeding them like, Oh, you're seasick. You should eat. Like if you're like, if you have an empty stomach, it's going to be worse. And they're just feeding him this medley yeah, of seafood. Horrible stuff. <laughs> stuff that would probably be okay. Like in a normal context in a regular restaurant, but oh, yeah, yeah like, probably wonderful. Yeah. The ship <laughs> like, is like tilted, like the cost of Concordia. So and yeah, they're like the gel- gelatinous, like food is like wiggling and stuff and yeah then they start vomiting and shitting everywhere and, and yeah we see toilets overflowing and flowing down staircases <laughs> and people sliding around old people like can't get up and stuff and... so that actually did happen on a cruise i was on um okay somewhere. this is why you didn't like it it was triggering <laughs> <laughs> not on my floor my floor was fine but um uh, there was uh, another floor on our cruise ship where, yeah, there was like a sewage leak. And I like w- one of my most clear memories of that entire vacation is, yeah, the person just screaming <laughs> at the guy, at the employees being like, this is unacceptable. Like there's just this literal shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. Just here. It just wasn't funny. It just wasn't working for me. Yeah. Like to triangle sadness. I really liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do uh, like the actress, um, Dolly De Leon as Abigail, she's she's having a good time as like yeah. the being the only capable person becoming the island. matriarch. Yeah, I do enjoy that, but yeah, it's I don't know, it's two hours to get to. It that is point. long. Yeah. <laughs> just... See, I saw yeah, I saw in a theater with a bunch of friends from work, and we were all just drinking cocktails from the AMC theater. I, I feel like that would have been a much more enjoyable. Yeah, we had a ball. A couple yeah. of a couple of them are Swedes, so like the director is a Swede. You said um you saw Tar in theaters, right? Yes. So yeah, I saw Tar in theaters. I was, I really enjoyed it and I think that helped elevate it cuz I was watching Triangle of Sadness just out in my studio and I wasn't I was able to get distracted and I think that elongated the yeah because tar is 10 minutes longer yeah. yeah i don't know i was hanging out with agnes and meredith i was the the youngest person in there by like 40 years and we were having a good time we <laughs> we had a good time with kate blanchett yeah. uh so what do you think what's gonna what's gonna take home best picture should we should we I don't think we need to touch on the rest of them. So the, so the remaining movies that we didn't discuss are everything everywhere all at once top gun maverick avatar 2 uh, the Shape of the Way of Water, uh, The Banshees of Sharon, and Elvis Presley, Elvis Returns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I think the thing I want to win is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, just because I feel like it's a movie that captured sort of the public's heart in a, a really positive way. Um, just, it's a, like a love letter to the actors that are in it, and it's just, it feels, I feel like it's one of the few movies that, like, legitimately kind of pushes the art form 
forward with the way that they just like were able to accomplish so much with a, like a, not a massive budget and just able to make something so heartfelt and so incredible and I don't know. It's just it, it's everything that I feel like a movie should and could be, and it's a lot of fun. What I think will win is something more safer, like Tar or Banshees of Sharon or Elvis. I think that's more likely to win. But my vote is for everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm thinking it could be. I wouldn't be mad if Banshees won, because um, I think it's great. Um, I would like if Everything Everywhere All at Once won, but I think the butt plug scene might uh you know hinder it yeah um although what a fucking how wild would that be if everything if you're one yeah um i think it would also be like a like an asian representation thing yeah definitely. uh you know i know parasite won a few years back but that's a foreign movie this is asian american uh yeah. although michelle Yeoh, i guess isn't you know well, anyway, <laughs> no, yeah, no, for sure. Like that's, I think it's really fascinating because yeah, Parasite is a, a fantastic movie, but it's also like, I feel has more of a, a foreign film sensibility to it. While this feels Maybe much more language, you know? Yeah. But also uh, kind of just like with the, the structure and the length and kind of just how they do things feels a little bit more, I don't know, a little more peculiar and different, even, even though this movie is peculiar and different. Um, it feels but everything like, everywhere. It's like, it's generationally signaling the beginning of yes. it's like a different type of movie. Yes. Uh, yes. 100%. It's yeah. a zoomer movie. Yeah, <laughs> it is yeah. like people who grew up watching YouTube videos, learning how to make movies on YouTube. Like the choreography action choreography was YouTubers. The yeah, uh, people who did the special yeah. effects were using like pi- pirated copies of after effects to like learn how to do this shit. Yeah. Um, and so it feels very DIY in a way that's really exciting. Um, yes, well said. Well said. I think uh, I think everything, everywhere, banshees, and women talking are probably. I would I, I would think the three best. I don't think it's going to be women talking. I think it's too quiet, too much of like a play. Um, yeah. It's not enough of like a. I I don't imagine like a swell of people getting excited for it when it comes time to vote. Yeah, um, but who great, knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a um, great movie, but yeah, I feel like the best pictures tend to be more cinematic in the way in. Yeah, and it looked fucking ugly. I'm sorry, yeah. but like I did not like the. What did you think of the color grading? Yeah, it was yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely some left to be desired. Um, because yeah, fences is gorgeous. Like it's like it's not very like dynamic or anything, but like it's I think it's shot very well, and I think there's good photography in that. Well, as opposed to women talking, is definitely kind of a little more drab, but I think honestly, like that movie, it doesn't really need to look visually good. Cause like it, yeah. it's just dealing with dealing just with is the world, <laughs> the weight of the world is on that movie's shoulders. It's just dealing with so much heavy shit that yeah, it's, it's fine. It can look drab. Um, a point Emily made was like, she was like, I feel like they should have just committed to black and white. However, yeah, yeah, yeah. if they want to just do black and white to like accentuate the dialogue, like it's already a book. Like, why does it need to be a movie then? Like, it yeah. it has to do the work of like proving that it's worthwhile to be a movie. Um, yeah. With, well, with so that said, that. Top Gun <laughs> deserves Top Gun. Is the Top most Gun. movie of all of these. <laughs> I don't know, man. Everything Everywhere is a fucking movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like RRR should have been nominated. Yeah. Honestly, I'm actually kind of angry that triangle of sadness got nominated over nope i think nope is a over far nope. is a far better film than triangle mm. of sadness i think they're so different i wouldn't compare them 
I think uh, RRR should have been nominated over Top Gun. I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, I think it absolutely should have been nominated over Avatar 2. I don't <laughs> think Avatar 2 should be in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would take out Avatar and I would take out Triangle of Sadness easily. Yeah. Triangle of Sadness, like, we could lose it. I like that movie, but, like, come on, I know it's not going to win. Yeah. Um, Elvis. You're, you're rooting for Elvis. I, I don't mind it. Like, I don't hate it. It's one of those things where, like I say, like, if you're going to do a, a fucking biopic and you're going to hit the beats, you might as well have your camera, like, a carousel and do yeah. crazy shit and be zooming into it. You might as well it. have Tom <laughs> Hanks being a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's absolutely insane. Um, in a good way. In a way that's fun. At least, like, there's parts of that movie that are still stuck in my mind just because of the audacity of it. Uh, no love for Fablements. No love for All Quiet. Yeah, All Quiet. If, you know, we've done that territory too much. Yeah. But in Fablements, I feel like it's is cool. I'm okay with that. Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. Yeah, they love movies about movies. Yeah. Uh, should right. we do a, a quick? What have you been watching? Uh, I saw Cocaine Bear yesterday. What'd you think? I <laughs> uh, did not like it. Oh no. That's <laughs> like how. So this is what I've been saying. It's like, how mad can I be at a movie called Cocaine Bear? Uh, I just wish, I don't know, man. Like, so Phil Lord and Chris Miller produced this movie. So I was hoping that they could introduce like some competency uh, to it. Even if it was like a formulaic, like two characters just learning to resolve their differences over the course of this wacky adventure gotcha. involving yeah, a Cocaine yeah, Bear. Yeah. Um, none of that doesn't happen. It's just... Um, it feels like a lot is introduced, is put on the table, and then nothing gets done with it. We have a yeah. ranger who has a crush on her colleague. What does that amount to? Nothing. Um, we have a mother who, she's a nurse. She's picking up extra shifts so she can hang out with some guy. Uh, it's creating a disconnection between her and her daughter. I guess that sort of initiates her daughter ditching school. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it means nothing. We get, a, we get a line referencing it at the very end of the movie. And it's like, okay, oh yeah, I forgot that was a thing. Because uh, it meant nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a terrible way to say goodbye to Ray Liotta. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's a fine way to say goodbye <laughs> No, it's not. It is not. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is it's, a it is, horrible way to say goodbye to Ray Liotta. It's kind of, yeah, it is, it is a little rough. Um, um, it just like, and it made me think about, it made me think know. about the band Guar. And how you have a band that is violent and ridiculous with these silly costumes, but they're not just a novelty. They're actually legitimately good. <laughs> they like play good music. They're talented songwriters. Yeah. Like I wish this movie had an absurd concept, but still managed to be a good movie. Like Swiss Army Man, ridiculous concept, still managed to be like a good movie because it invested itself into its characters. Yeah. Um, like, if you're going to make it, that's what upsets me. It's like, you have the opportunity to make a movie. Not everyone gets an opportunity to make a movie. Not everyone gets, like, great actors on board. Uh, and yeah. if you're going to get that opportunity, why not make it good? Why not try? <laughs> like, I felt like this movie wasn't trying. There's a fucking bizarre edit. Okay, so, like, I kind of missed this because uh, towards the end, uh, a crazy man entered the theater and started yelling at us. We, but, so uh, we both had... <laughs> somewhat uh, eventful oh yeah you had teenagers, right? yeah. Um, yeah some guy just started yelling at like down the aisle i don't know i don't know what was going on he had like his shirt off and stuff um it was like a 4d experience <laughs> um but uh there was this weird edit towards the end of the movie where the characters just flash back to 
seeing a hiker like die a dead hiker that was yeah, like, actually a yeah. character in the movie i think yeah yeah and so i was like i was a little distracted because this man was yelling at us but i was still baffled <laughs> by, by the editing yeah that's, um, yeah it does kind of hit that weird cut it's um, weird yeah, yeah I, I feel i i kind of i do agree with what you're saying for the most part um i do think a movie like this succeeds if there is a high body count. If you have a movie where it's like it's a violent, supposed to be a violent, dumb, silly B comedy movie, it's supposed to have like a high body count. So I think it sort of gets caught in this mess where there's just too many characters to kind of circulate. So we don't really have anyone to really like focus in on. And yeah, it, it does feel it, messy. If you can have creative kills, that would be satisfying. But yeah. what was the most creative kill is uh, a gurney with a woman on it falling face first onto the highway yeah. driving quickly yeah. um then no bear required for that <laughs> death. Uh, bear initiated yeah <laughs> bear adjacent like yeah the ambulance scene is fun uh yeah but i don't know i wasn't into it and like it, yeah i'm surprised how much it bothered me to not be into that movie yeah fair enough i mean yeah it, it, it's a very delicate balancing act i feel like yeah it's i was Sorry, I keep like interrupting you. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> I was surprised how gory it was, which I was like, kind of. I, I guess I was kind of happy about because I was like, oh, at least I'm surprised by something. Yeah. Um, however, the gore also felt a little too real for me, and not like I. I, I kind of wish they leaned into like the cartoonish, wacky gore. Uh, I think yeah. Area. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, there's a couple of moments where yeah, it feels slightly too yeah too real yeah it's like of, this is yeah. kind of gruesome yeah um, that's why i feel like ray liotta is a person that would have a sense of humor this is the person that voiced uh, a character in grand theft auto vice city where you do terrible crazy things yeah. in that movie so i think he'd be okay with something as absurd like that but i do i do get what you're saying about like yeah it probably would be nice to have like a more prestigious send-off for <laughs> this actor yeah it's uh, just yeah. a shame yeah it's like they didn't know he was gonna die yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Right after. Yeah, can't can't predict these things. Yeah, uh, what have you been watching lately? Uh, saw Creed three, saw an IMAX. All pretty, right, pretty awesome. Um, uh, it's interesting. So this is uh, like the ninth or tenth movie in the Rocky franchise. Um, this is the, like not he's only mentioned once. So uh, Sylvester Stallone is not in this movie at all. Rocky is only mentioned once, and it's all focused on Creed and. I think it's actually a testament to just how like ironclad the Rocky formula is that you can sort of have a character in the Rocky franchise and not even mention him at all and still hit those beats. It's basically like the the DNA of like Rocky Three, where it's like this character is sort of at his prime. He's like retired. He's like at the height of his career. He's just like doing modeling for like, you know, Vogue magazines and stuff. He's not boxing anymore. And then he facilitates a person to get into the ring and become a champion. But then that champion is like the monster that he has to then be, go beat. Hmm. But then, but that monster is Jonathan Majors. who's just yeah. absolutely ripped like a, yeah. like insane. <laughs> so you don't really get that in Ant-Man. Ant-Man is like, yeah, it's like he, he's intimidating. But in this movie, it's like, he's fucking scary oh man he's been big like <laughs> he was huge in a uh, lovecraft country yeah 
And it's like, what did he get big for Lovecraft Country or was there something before that? I don't know, but at least with here, because it's just, yeah, it's boxing, it's rocky. So it's like, yeah, you're down to like 1% body fat. So it's just, it's absolutely insane. Uh, but the thing that I want to note about that movie is the final fight uh, features a fantasy element, which I wasn't really mm-hmm. expecting. I don't know how I feel about it. It is a little weird. I think I would have appreciated it to be grounded in reality but i think i do appreciate like the creative choice is there like wire work or something or no so basically uh the final fight takes place at dodger stadium and like the they do like two rounds normally but then like for the third round they just uh take all of the extras out and it's just uh michael b jordan and jonathan majors like fighting in an empty ring and then it gets a little weirder with like the visuals okay so it gets very subjective yeah, where it's like, um, you know. Is it like Dead or Alive where uh, we have like one guy pull a bazooka out and like. No. Well, it'll be and the like, other guy throw a fireball? Like uh, Jonathan Majors will punch Michael B. Jordan into the ropes, but then the ropes will turn into like prison bars or something. Mm. Oh, like, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I, I, I just appreciate that it did something different. Um, uh, yeah, so I thought that was fun seeing theaters. Um, it was also great seeing it in IMAX because it was shot for IMAX. And he mentions that there's like an anime influence in the fights. Yeah. And it I definitely shows. That. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, I was into it. There's parts where they had just like just close ups on like the belt or like just sweat on a particular body part. They're just, it's just close up their faces while they're screaming. We yeah. just like, see like this going a yes. million miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. They're like so, flying through the air. So yeah, that was good. Uh, watched a couple tough guy movies um uh watched con air uh which i'd never seen i think i've seen con air yeah i probably con- saw like bits of it on tv yeah con air is weird because yeah it's like nicholas cage as your yeah. tough guy he's like this uh soldier from the south who's just always in the wrong place at the wrong time and he's like on this plane filled with convicts but they're all like great actors from the 90s like danny trejo steve buscemi ving rames Classic um, tough guy, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's weird because I like, say like tough guy in a jokingly way because yes, yeah, it's, like, it's Nicolas Cage. Like how like tough guy can he be in like, this movie? But there is Based a off. moment. There, yeah. There is a moment where his character in Con Air gets shot and he doesn't flinch. And so that's like a good baseline criteria because that's what happens in Fast Five when someone shoots <laughs> Vin Diesel and he doesn't flinch. And so yeah. that's, if you don't flinch when you get shot, then you're officially a tough guy in my opinion. Um, so I watched that. I watched Cobra from uh, 86. I've never seen Cobra. Cobra is a little disappointing. Um, hmm. it's the same year. Uh, no, it's like the same era of like Rocky for uh yeah it's like 86 or something uh it's like the from the era when he was dating brigitte nielsen and so she stars she co-stars in this movie and it, it's just kind of boring uh that's the only the shame it has a great poster it's, yeah it has a fantastic poster and he is like a very badass character his gun has a cobra on it and yeah they just when there's a hostage situation going on they say you gotta fucking call cobra to solve this and it's it's a great setup and there's a like good moments in it but yeah it's just it's just kind of lacking um that's about it and then yeah the mandalorian is back but oh yeah i've been watching that what do you think it's fine (laughs) i feel like there was no hype for it it just kind of like happened 
Yeah, I feel like the well is kind of dried up at this point. Yeah. I was just not into this most recent two episodes. And I don't, it's just weird when, like, he's going to, like, Mandalore and he's like, this was the the great civilization built by our people. And, you know, the Empire came and crushed us like insects and Baby Yoda. It's just like, man, just like, it's just like, you're like, <laughs> yeah. like, you're, like your character's like a bird. Like, like I don't, like, it's, it's supposed to be a conversation happening it's just not really working for me um it's hilarious but i don't think it's supposed to be hilarious supposed to be like supposed to be taking this seriously well like we watched yeah we watched the second episode on wednesday and it's it was like previously on the mandalorian or whatever and it's like showing flashbacks episode one and i'm like i don't remember any of this shit (laughs) like i I just like zoned out for that whole first episode yeah it's just weird well, it's good Pedro Pascal's making that money, but yeah, it's just. I, I watched um, a bunch of uh, his sketches from SNL when he was on SNL. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he had fun. Yeah, he had a good time. Um, uh, and also recently, so yeah, actually speaking of SNL, uh, so yeah, Woody Harrelson hosted after him, and his episode was awful. Oh, really? <laughs> so, I didn't watch any of it. Yeah, he has a, a sketch where they're making fun of the whale. Uh, is kind of in bad taste, but yeah, that's the only sketch that's like kind of funny. Um, yeah, and then uh, Travis Kelsey, who is a player on the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe. No, he's on the he's on the Chiefs. He's on the. Kansas I think I heard Chiefs. he had a good episode. Yeah, like he, and his episode was fun because usually they say that like uh, athletes tend to have more fun because they just like just don't care. They're good just at taking it up. They're good at taking direction. They're good at being silly. Hmm. Um, yeah, the Woody Harrelson one, his monologue is is worth a watch because it's just like really bad, and then there's like the the guitarist, like a female guitarist behind him, just like stone faced the entire time. Just, oh. It's 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 a it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, I've been like trying to, I've been checking it out ever since you said you still watch it. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll peep some of these, uh, some of these sketches, and I feel like they have a pretty strong cast now. Like yeah. I haven't I haven't tuned in in years, uh, but um. Bowen Yang's really great. Yeah, I like um, Bowen Yang. I like Please Don't Destroy. They're really great. Yeah. Um, I originally was a big fan of Weekend Update. That was like my favorite thing, but now it's not my favorite anymore. That's usually where I stop watching. I'll watch the show up until <laughs> Weekend Update and then stop. Um, yeah, I was a fan of Sarah Squirm before she yeah. ended up on the show, so I've been watching her stuff. Um, it's just so, it's still so weird to me that she's on, <laughs> on SNL. Yeah, and then... Uh, classmate of ours grace she does art so if you watch okay. the live broadcast you can occasionally catch a glimpse of her oh, look okay. at, looking props in and out nice yeah she's been doing that for a while yeah yeah so it's 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 fun to check in and watch every once in a while sometimes yeah they can't all be zingers though sometimes it can yeah. be it can be bad like i mean it's has, like woody harrelson what is is definitely worth watching for how bad it is like i watched that uh um Mario Kart sketch and I yes, was like this yes. is like this feels like very low effort to me like I know first <laughs> off I know it was a very high effort because they had a fucking uh their like post-production team special effects team like working overtime to do that thing yeah. uh, and now they're striking <laughs> but um hey solidarity man yeah <laughs> hell yeah like they, it's fucking ridiculous um pay them pay but, those people but I don't know just like Pop culture mashup is like the so lazy to <laughs> like such a lazy way to approach sketch writing. I, I granted they gotta pump these out every week, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was really into that sketch. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I really like that one. Um, yeah, it, it can be weird because I don't like like the reoccurring ones that are just like one joke. There's there's like tons of those. Like, the there is a lot like, of those. Another, back to. another thing I don't like that I picked up on is they frequently will do this thing where one character says something absurd and then another character will be like, did they just say, and then yeah, repeat yeah. what they said? And it's like, yeah, they did. We were there. We saw yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's usually like for time. Yeah. It's usually like Mikey day doing that too. Uh, I feel like he, he tends to be like that, that kind of character in those scenes where he's just like the everyman pointing out the ridiculousness yeah. of what's happening. And yeah. Yeah. It's hit or miss. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I don't mind the one joke sketches as much so long as they heighten in an interesting way. Um, I, I watched a bit of the Aubrey Plaza stuff, uh, the one where it's like the Miss World pageant or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought I wasn't going to like that because I was like, it was already funny. Like, why would you parody something that's already yeah, funny? Yeah. But then they just, I think they did a pretty great job up until, like I was totally digging it up until the introduction of Tony Hawk and the yeah, yeah. I was like, what the fuck is now? What, what is this sketch now? Um, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I appreciate it because there's nothing quite like SNL and the chaos that can happen on that show. And yeah, so it, it is, yeah, it, the sketches can be hit or miss, but it's, it's just a, a great kind of event to watch happen and just to see, see how it unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, the way we we watch it, because we don't have NBC, we don't have basic cable, is, like, I'll just go, like, the way we ended up watching the Pedro Pascal stuff is, like, I just noticed that a video from SNL was uploaded to YouTube five yeah. minutes ago, <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's on, and so, like, yeah, I would yeah. just refresh the page, and a new sketch would be uploaded. Nice. Um, so, yeah, Very I felt cool. like we were just, like, watching along, it was kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've been trying to watch regularly for the past couple of years and this year they, they like they cleaned house in a big way so it does feel like new energy new vibes i'm a big fan of andrew dismukes that's my boy i think he's he's very underrated feel he needs to be utilized far more than he's being used now i'll look him up but i'm good, not good, i still don't know everyone's name he's a he's, a, uh, he's okay. a, so yeah <laughs> He's he's great. He's his line readings are always funny whenever he gets a chance to just He looks like he's like seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's fucking hilarious. Um But yeah, um I guess we should wrap it up so I can edit this in preparation for the ceremony on Sunday. So I wanna make sure to get this out cool. before before that. Cool. So yes, uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at vaguezone on Twitter. Let us know what you're watching. If you have theme suggestions, I have a 20-sided die now, so now I can roll yeah. for, for the themes. I'm very excited to do that. Um, so yeah, this has been episode 117, Oscar Ketchup. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cool.